Blessed is he whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord does not count against him, and in whose spirit is no deceit. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me, my strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. Salah. Then I acknowledged you then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Salah. Therefore, let everyone who is godly pray to you while you may be found. Surely when the mighty waters rise, they will not reach him. You are my hiding place. You will protect me from trouble and surround me with the songs of deliverance. Salah. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you and watch over you. Do not be like the horse or the mule, which have no understanding but must be controlled by bit and bridle, or they will not come to you. Many many are the woes of the wicked, but the Lord's unfailing love surrounds the man who trusts in him. Rejoice in the Lord and be glad, you righteous. Sing, all you who are upright in heart. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Sarah. Uh, Do keep your Bibles open if you uh, have one. And let's uh, start by asking for God's help. Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, for the Psalms, uh, for this part of your word uh, that speaks of the highs and lows of life, uh, that shows us uh, a faithful Christian's perspective uh, on what you are doing. I pray that you would uh, work in us by your Spirit this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to start by asking you to uh, imagine you're at a conference. Uh, You're in a a big auditorium, much bigger than this hall. There are hundreds of people there, and you've got a decent seat. Uh, You're in the middle row, you're close to the front, uh, and imagine you're sitting in in a comfortable chair. Uh, Maybe you're you're picturing chairs like this, uh, each to their own, Uh, and you're set for the morning. You've got your notepad, you've got your pen, you've got your morning coffee, some snacks in your backpack, and you're good to go. The conference starts, and it's even better than you had expected. And maybe you get a little bit overexcited, uh, because all of a sudden, you stretch out your leg, uh, and it just catches your coffee cup. Uh, And there's coffee all over the carpet. Now, fortunately, uh, the people sitting either side of you haven't noticed what's happened. Now, you could get up and get some paper towels or a cloth, but that's going to be very disruptive, uh, and you'll probably get funny looks. And so you you go with another idea. You discreetly pick up your cup, and then with your eyes fixed, uh, firmly on the person speaking, you use your feet to subtly slide your bag over the puddle of coffee to cover it up, as if it was never there. Crisis averted. Uh, apart from the stained carpet and your coffee-soaked bag. bag. Now, a friend of mine had this kind of uh, experience, uh, and it got me thinking. As humans, we're pretty good at covering things up, aren't we? When we make a mistake, often our natural instinct is to cover it up. We don't like others knowing that we've messed up. We don't like uh, 
And so we, we try and hide things. Uh, we present ourselves so it looks like everything is fine. And that may not necessarily be the case. And one of the biggest things that we cover up is when we try and hide things from God. More specifically, when we hide our sin from God. And that's really what's at the heart of the problem in Psalm 32. David, one of the most prominent leaders in the Bible, uh, and the author of a number of the Psalms, is writing about his own experience of trying to hide sin from God. And he shows us what hidden sin does to God's people. The overwhelming effects that it can have on us. Hiding our sin from God can lead to a feeling of guilt, shame, fear, feelings that we've probably all experienced. Covering up sin often leaves us in a worse position than before. But this psalm offers us a better alternative, and that is to confess our sin and return to God. Uh, So let's take a closer look at it. Uh, Verses 1 and 2 start with some wisdom. Blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin, or another word is whose iniquity, the Lord does not count against them, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. Now the three words that that David uses, transgressions, sin, and iniquities, uh, you might be thinking, what's actually the difference between those? Now some people suggest that Transgressions are when we know God's will, but we deliberately go against it. Sin is how we fall short of the mark of glorifying God. And iniquities are everything that's twisted or distorted within us. Now, that's that's a very simple explanation, and many people have tried to, to work out the difference between these three words. But they're essentially three different ways of describing the same core problem. And that is everything that alienates us from God, everything that's opposed to him, our thoughts, our actions, our words. Blessed is the person who is forgiven of all these things. Uh, And a key part is that last line in verse 2, in whose spirit there is no deceit. See, we often fall into the trap of wanting others to think highly of us. And so we try and hide any of the things that will make us look bad. We try and put our best foot forward, and that can be our attitude with God as well. Sometimes deep down, we don't think that God will accept us unless we're sinless. But verse 2 says, blessed is the person who is free of deceit. Not free of sin, free of deceit. It reflects being honest with God and being honest with ourselves. So how does a, a sinner get to the point where they are forgiven and free of deceit. Well, we see what not to do in verses 3 and 4, what not to do with our sin. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. Uh, David is silent with his sin. Uh, and look at the effect it has on him. Notice the, the physical impact Bones deteriorating, energy gone. Uh, It's like he's being crushed by the weight of his sin. Uh, And the language is is definitely poetic, but his his physical state probably says something about his spiritual state. See, unconfessed sin crushes our faith. 
when we don't address sinful areas of our lives that need addressing, it starts to take its toll on us. We feel it deep inside. Uh, It's a feeling that we just can't shake. Later on in the Bible, uh, in John's Gospel, we learn that this feeling is the work of God's Spirit, convicting us of our sin. Notice the the time frame here as well. All day long, day and night, uh, the feeling of God's hand weighing down on him is relentless. There's a sense of hopelessness there. Now, we don't know exactly what David is referring to in this psalm. What is it that he's keeping silent about? We know from elsewhere in the Bible that he was far from perfect. He was an adulterer. Uh, He took another man's wife. He even killed that same man. He had him killed. So it could be that he's writing about how he felt when he kept that silent. Uh, But he does talk about that in another psalm, Psalm 51. So he could be writing about something completely different here. But regardless, uh, the impact of remaining silent is what's clear. Uh, We should also notice the link between being silent and being deceitful. Often the two go go hand in hand, silence and deceit. Uh, And we see that from a young age, don't we? Uh, Have you ever noticed when a a child is trying to hide something from you, they often remain very quiet? Silence is never the right response to our sin. Now let me say it again. Silence is never the right response to our sin. There's a deceitful element to it. It's as if we're pretending like it's not there. Or we're trying to convince ourselves and trying to convince others that it's not really a big deal. Uh, I know a number of Christians who will testify to that experience. Uh, And I know it's been true in my own life. And over time, our feelings of guilt and shame and fear begin to grow. And our faith is slowly crushed under the weight of those feelings. Not the type of experience that anyone wants. And yet, an experience that's probably all too common among Christians. Well, in verse 5, David offers us an alternative to silence. Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. See, under the weight of the burden that he feels, he confesses his sin to God. He's finally honest with God and with himself. Notice those those three words again. Sin, iniquity, transgressions. David bears everything. Uh, He bears it all to the Lord. Uh, And almost instantly there's this notable shift in the psalm. The burden is lifted. The despair is gone. What is it that stops us from uh, responding in a similar way? Why do we keep covering up our sin to remain sil- and remain silent? Uh, I think there are a number of potential reasons. We don't realise the damage that sin is doing to our relationship with God uh, and even our relationship with others. Or we're too proud to acknowledge that we actually need God's help. But one of the, the main reasons that we cover up or remain silent about sin is because we don't think that God will forgive us. Maybe we can understand how God forgives a new Christian. But when we've been walking with God for a while, when we know the goodness of the gospel and the glory that awaits us, when we know that and then we sin, that's when we start to, God, uh, start to doubt that God will really forgive us. 
Surely he won't forgive someone who knows the truth but keeps on rejecting it through their actions. Surely God, uh, God can't forgive me when I disappoint him so often. When I continue to sin in the same ways as someone who doesn't even know Christ. Or when we sin in a way that feels beyond forgiveness. Uh, sadly, I think we probably all know people who have walked away from the faith because they think God's forgiveness is beyond them. Uh, a Christian lady was in a, a messy relationship uh, and ended up pregnant. And when she found out, she didn't know what to do. She felt guilt. She felt ashamed. She felt fear. And sadly, uh, the man involved pressured her to have an abortion. And she gave in to that pressure, despite the counsel of her Christian friends. Now, unsurprisingly, uh, she began to feel the weight of her decision uh, in the weeks and months following. And she really struggled to accept God's forgiveness. It's It's a tragic example. If God is completely and and utterly opposed to our sin, if his stance against sin is uncompromising, then surely the end of verse 5 should read this, but you didn't forgive the guilt of my sin. But that's not what the end of verse 5 says. It says, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. That's God's response when we take ownership of our sin. No matter how far we've strayed, No matter how many times, when we bring it to him, he immediately forgives us. He restores us. Uh, And the reason God does this is because of what Jesus went on to do many, many years later. Our sin, our transgressions, our iniquities, they were all poured out on God's perfect son. See, at the cross, all of our sin was laid on Jesus. God's mercy towards us is greater than than our sin. And we see that most clearly at the cross. Christ's blood washing away our sins. God's mercy continues to be greater than our sin. And so David confesses his sin. And then verses 6 to 11 are really a picture of repentance. See, this psalm is not just about confessing our sin. It's not just about turning away from our sin. Uh, It's also about returning to God. Uh, and that's what repentance is. And confession and repentance are, are so closely linked. Now, one way that we repent is through prayer. Versus, verse 6 is really a call for us to pray to God. Uh, I know a guy who's often uh, very open about his struggles with sin, but he's also very quick to pray uh, and very quick to ask others to pray. He knows that he needs God's help, and that is uh, repentance. Asking God to help you turn from your sin. Uh, The rising of the mighty waters uh, is an image of chaos. It said something about the the feelings that unconfessed sin brings. But praying to God seems to spare us from that chaos. Verse 7 says, You are my hiding place. You will protect me from trouble and surround me with songs of deliverance. In this verse we see that repentance is hiding in God, not hiding from God. Uh, Cast cast your mind back to the start of the Bible, uh, in the book of Genesis, uh, when Adam and Eve first sinned. They were ashamed and afraid, uh, and soon after that, they end up hiding from God. 
And that's often our response when we sin, isn't it? We're ashamed and so we try and hide from God. I remember last year I had let a friend down and I needed to acknowledge that and apologise. But I just kept on avoiding it and avoiding them because I was unsure of how they would respond. Well, God's response is not uncertain. His response is to forgive us when we confess our sin and turn to him. Don't hide from God. Hide in God by going to him in prayer. Seek his shelter and protection. That's the encouragement here. We know that God doesn't necessarily take away our troubles in this life or the consequences of our sin, but he does shelter us as we face them. Uh, In verse 8 we see repentance is also allowing God to lovingly guide us. God's not some sort of uh, hard taskmaster who's watching over us and just waiting for us to slip up. He lovingly watches over us. Uh, He guides us in the way that we should go, never forcing us. Uh, In the days before smartphones, uh, if you were driving somewhere and you got lost, you'd have to ask for someone else uh, if they knew, for for directions, if they knew the way. Uh, And it takes a level of humility to admit that you're lost and accept guidance. It's the opposite to the picture of the horse that we see in verse 9. See, God never forces us to confess our sin and repent. He certainly shows us our sin, uh, but we're responsible for how we react. We either willingly turn to God or we continue to try and deal with our sin on our own. And we are free to do that. But verse 10 warns us of the consequences. See, many are the woes of the wicked, but the Lord's unfailing love surrounds the one who trusts in him. Those who continue in their sin, uh, not willing to acknowledge it uh, and turn back to God, will ultimately be worse off in this life and certainly in the life to come. Now, if you're not yet a follower of Jesus, uh, that's what lies ahead. Why not let him deal with your sin so that you don't have to one day deal with the consequences of it? That's the hope that Jesus brings. There's one final thing that repentance leads us to, and that is joy. And we see it in verse 11. Rejoice in the Lord and be glad, you righteous. Sing, all you who are upright in heart. Repentance brings joy. Verse 11 reflects this deep joy uh, within the heart that spills over into all areas of life, a joy that comes from knowing God's forgiveness. See, a failure to confess our sin is actually a barrier to joy. When we know we have sin that we're hiding, it slowly takes away our joy, and we can end up being cold uh, towards God and towards others. And ultimately, unrepentance just closes, slowly closes the door to true joy. It stops us from living out the words of verse 11. If we cover up our sin, it will cost us our joy. It's a temporary fix, uh, like covering spilt coffee with a uh, backpack. And so this morning, in, in light of Psalm 32, I need to ask you, is there sin in your life that you are hiding from God? Is there sin that you're covering up? Sin that you're not dealing with? Pride? A lack of self-control? Impatience? Greed? Anger? Being judgmental? Uh, Talking badly about others behind their backs? Jealousy? Sexual sin? Sin? 
addictions, what will your response uh, to the sin in your life be? Will you confess your sin uh, and return to God? Or will you keep trying to cover it up? We know what God's response will be when we come to him. Christ's blood covers over all who confess their sin and return. It doesn't mean that there won't be consequences. But being forgiven by God uh, and right with him gives us something far greater. Freedom from guilt, shame and fear. Rejoice in the Lord and be glad, you righteous. Sing, all you who are upright in heart. Uh, One of the things I've grown to appreciate about um, our service here is the time we spend uh, confessing our sin to God each week. Because confession is a reminder of God's grace towards us. It's an invitation for us to bring our sin to him and for ask his help to change. It's really a gift to us. Uh, It's something that David's going to lead us in uh, shortly. There's an old saying, the truth hurts, but silence kills. It's something that's true of confession. See, when we confess our sin, we're asking God to help us. uh, And that can be painful at times. But it's nowhere near as devastating as the impact that silence can have. The truth hurts, but silence kills. That was the impact of unconfessed sin in in verses 3 and 4. It was slowly killing David's faith. But honesty with God led to joy. Uh, And I pray that it would do the same for us. Uh, So let's spend some time praying now. Blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord does not count against them, and in whose spirit is no deceit. Father, we ask that you would help us to be honest with you and with ourselves regarding our sin. Help us to keep turning to you again and again. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.